Greetings and welcome to another episode of The Bit Between. Today we have a very, very special guest. Uh, we have my neighbour, Mr. Derek Allum. How are you today? I'm okay, thanks. Yeah? So, would, would you mind giving uh, people a little introduction um, and telling people a bit about yourself? Yes, I'm, I'm 84 years old, which I suppose is quite important, I'll say that straight away. Um, I'm one of those people who left school at 15, which to some people now will say seem absolutely crazy. Uh, I was a very shy little boy, not very well educated. And then I joined Austin Reeds and came up against my manager who could see something in me that I couldn't see. So from then on, he really encouraged me and looked after me. And slowly, I went up the ladder and, you know, first of all, became a deputy manager, then manager, then manager of the biggest store we had on the company outside Regent Street. Uh, then I was moved into our head office where I eventually became the sales director for the company. Mm, that's uh, quite the journey, Derek, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. So before we get on to your your work, which you started very young, um, do you mind telling us a little bit, like uh, a little bit about what life was like when you were growing up? Well, it was difficult because what I didn't say was when I was very young, when I was six or seven, I was diagnosed with TB which in those days was a killer. I mean, few people came out alive. But luckily, and it's interesting with this virus that's just coming now and this rush to try and find a vaccine, that I think it was about um, in 1942 when these vaccines were just beginning to come through to tackle TB. And although I've no proof about this, I'm sure that what they were injecting into me constantly three or four times a day was this new drug and slowly I recovered. So I was one of the very lucky ones that I was in a teaching hospital in Oxford and that enabled them to give me this drug. And as I say, slowly the TB went. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But what that did was I was about 18 months away from school. And of course, if you're away that length of time, you don't catch up. Yeah. Um, I wasn't by any stretch of the imagination a student who would, I was never really interested in studying. Yeah. Once I got to work, I saw the benefits and then I started to. Right. Right. So what sort of a, what sort of a student were you, Derek? Uh, well, of course, I, it was all, I mean, I really just taught myself with books. I found it difficult to be taught. Right. But I always say if I had a book in front of me, I could learn anything. Well, pretty much. That's yeah. an exaggeration. <laughs> Let me say this. Let me cover that by saying if I wanted to learn it. My problem always was at school is that if I thought, why am I bothering with this? I just sw switched off. Yeah. And um, but give me a subject that I really enjoy, then I'm a different person. Yeah. What was, what were your, what were your family like, Derek, when you were growing up? Uh, my, of course, I, I grew up during the war. Um, 
though I was 36, we had rumblings of the war right through to 40, 41. Um, my father was 44 when I was born, so he was quite old in those days to have a, my mum was 42. Um, they were very average. He actually took part in the war. I mean, not any fighting, he was far too old, but he went to our nearest um, airdrome, Benson, and I'm ashamed to say I haven't got a clue what he did there. <laughs> All I know is he went off and came back. He had a motorbike. I don't know how many miles he was away, about 14 miles. Um, but what he actually did, I know what he did in the First World War. Right. He was a tailor and he repaired the fabric on the planes. When they came back, he was, you know, he was the one that repaired when I, I assume, I mean, I've never really looked into it, but I would think bullets being shotted went through the fabric and he was repairing it when it came through. Yeah. It's amazing how little one knows about one's parents mm -hmm. when it really goes. My mother was a very loving mother. Um, yes, I had a very happy childhood. Very happy. Yeah. yeah. And there's, there's nothing quite like a mother, is it, Eric? You've told me that quite a lot of times. There is nothing like a mother. No, there is nothing at all. Mm -hmm. Your mother is quite unique, unless <laughs> you're unfortunate enough not to have a nice one. But there's very few mothers that yeah. are not nice. Yeah. Very few. Um, so did you have any siblings, Derek? Yes, I had a brother, a very clever brother, which my mother used to say, this is unbelievable, um, because of education and all the rest of it. And I was a very shy little lad. Um, my mother used to say to me, well, not to worry, Derek, because your brother's got all the brains. <laughs> <laughs> so in other words, I wasn't, I didn't, I didn't have to expect too much from him. Right. Um, yeah, but he was a clever man, fleet, fleet air arm during the war, pilot, um, soloed at 18. In other words, he could fly a plane at 18. Wow. His life expectancy landing on um aircraft carriers was six months wow my mother thought it was great when um when my brother telegrammed that we had a telegram saying that he'd soloed and my mother was so proud but she didn't know that his life expectancy then was about six months yeah luckily i don't quite know how he did this he went off to trinidad so he was very safe very safe and sound, no problems at all. So he, and he was out in Trinidad where he met his wife. All right. But his, but his wife was, was English. Okay. So how did she end up in Trinidad? Well, her, her father worked for Lever Brothers. Right. And he was moved all over the place. I, he was a high powered guy. Yeah. And um, yeah, he was, I mean, interestingly enough, until until she was, I think it was 19, she'd never lived in a house. Mm -hmm. Hotels were the only thing she knew. They lived permanently in hotels wow. or everywhere. Europe, you name it, she'd actually been there. Hmm. Strange upbringing. Yeah, that is strange. Now, you said that uh, from the age of 15, you went to go work for Austin Reed. Um, yeah. Why is it that you left school at 15? Because, you, well, you see, in those days, 
you would take an exam at 11 to go to grammar school. If you went to grammar school, you stayed on until you were 16. I mean, going to university in those days was unheard of. I had one friend only who got to Oxford, which was just extraordinary. Um, but to go to have any chance at all, you just you just even didn't even think about it. Yeah. Well, of course, with my lack of education, I didn't have a chance. I didn't even set my 11 plus. So you just left school at 15. Hmm. I mean, it wasn't many years before that you left at 14. Hmm. So, so it's just the, uh, the done thing. Yes. Everybody in my. One other thing I would say is I was at Oxford and with Coley Works, um, the car, you know, made a lot, lot of cars at Coley. Um, we we were what we termed factory fodder. They didn't expect us to do very much in life. Right. So they just thought we'd end up in a factory putting bolts on all day long. Right. And they actually took me up to one. And I was I looked at it. I thought, my goodness me, to do that for the rest of my life. No way. <laughs> so I decided to go and join us, go and join Austin. And it yeah. was a very good, the best thing I ever did. Yeah. And it? I never worked anywhere else. Yeah. That's that's quite incredible that you've only worked for one company. Yeah. 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 So well, I had numerous I had numerous different jobs with them. Yeah, a lot of different roles. So when you were when you first got into working for Austin Reed, uh, what was it that you were doing? I was just a salesman, really, junior salesman. Um, and I I stuck it that I had no confidence at all because my education was non-existent. Um, so I had to work hard really, but I was always very interested in what was going on. You know, I didn't just sit back and think, well, this is going to be my life forever. I had a very ambitious brother-in-law and he, you know, I thought, well, if he can do it, I can do it. So that was how it was. And then I think about 17, 18, um, I took an interest in window dressing so I became that um, and I still sold as well and then when I was about 22 I was really beginning then to get on and um 25 I was moved to Norwich as deputy and then it all just exploded then I went very quickly then quite a way up let me just turn this phone off no worries. you said that you had a uh, a manager that saw something in you yeah I mean I was a I suppose I was a pretty quite bold, a pretty stupid little boy, really. I found it difficult. I did find life difficult. Um, but he, I think one of the things is he was very sharp, um, very smart, very clever. I mean, he was quite outstanding. And I thought he was the normal run of managers. And I thought, well, I will never, ever. And then I came in, came, you know, in um, the company of other managers and I realized how outstanding my manager was so he he encouraged me but what I was going to say is I think one of the things was he only had a daughter and I rather think he saw me a bit as his son right because he definitely spent more time with me than he did with the other young people in the shop he seemed to just have a and I must be honest, I think I was much more interested in anything than the other than the other salesmen were. 
Right. So I expect, I, and I was prepared to do anything. I think that's another thing. I didn't care what it was. If the toilets needed cleaning, I'd clean them. You know, I just didn't worry what I did. I just needed to keep working. Mm -hmm. I never wanted to be bored by standing, talking and things like that. If I put saying myself like perfection, I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> you Believe very... me, I was not. I was not perfection. Him and I, I was in awe of him because he was a very clever man. I mean, without doubt, the best manager I ever worked for. I mean, he was something else. And I admired him greatly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What did you learn from him? Management. I don't think, actually, that's not right. Management is a gift. You can, you can, you can take on board the guidelines, but management, people have, have do have a gift for it. And some people have no gift whatsoever. Some people, you will work your socks off for them. And other people you think, you know, well, I'll do what I'm told, but there's no, there's no excitement. Hmm. Good managers create excitement. And he was good. Hmm. So I learned from him. And I also had a deputy manager who was pretty useless. So in the <laughs> same shop, <laughs> I had this useless guy and he was pretty useless. Well, he was worse than useless. And this brilliant manager. And I saw that the manager could handle people so brilliantly. And this deputy who was sarcastic and not very nice. Universally, the staff did not like him. In fact, <laughs> usually when the manager's away, everybody's pretty happy. But when, 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 when our manager was away, we were most unhappy because we had this <laughs> Nash in charge and that didn't please us at all. Yeah, yeah. So you kind of had a, a good role model and then a bad role model right next to each other that you could come and what a wonderful team what a, what a wonderful way to learn that was yeah good management is very difficult hmm. i've met very few really good managers in my life do you think do you think you were a good manager derek i do yeah i say that with all my, and i learned very quickly if you treat staff well they will work their socks off for him you treat them badly and you have to shout at them and you're sarcastic and you get nothing out of them at all. Hmm. That's yeah. my experience. Hmm. I think people have a little bit of a misconception where they think that they need to bully people into doing things, basically. Absolutely. Absolutely, Sebi. 100%. People who have to bully people to do things should not be in the job they're doing. Yeah. I hate bullies. I did come against them in shops. I did. Mm -hmm. Managers. They didn't get very far with me. <laughs> I hate bullies. Yeah. How did you deal with them then, Derek? What bullies? Yeah. Um, well, I, I've never actually come up against anybody trying to bully me. Right. Uh, wait a minute. I had one chap who tried to, you just stand up against, I mean, if I was in a position of authority, Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't, I just wouldn't tolerate it. If a manager was bullying a member of staff and it came back to us or me, yeah, I would deal with it in a very firm manner. And if a manager dared to swear at a member of staff, he would not last. He would not last. I would not tolerate in any way people swearing at staff. Hmm. 
Hmm. So then, Derek, um, let's let's talk a little bit more about um, when you got further up. Um, you know, you said that you ran the the biggest store for Austin Reed, and Austin Reed, they're a clothing company, right? Yeah, this was a shop in Edinburgh in Princes Street, Lovely right. Street. Yeah. Yes, that was the biggest shop, and I was only what would I have been. 34, 35, wow. which was quite, ex in, the, in those days, I mean, usually you'd have a chap middle 40s doing it. Yeah. I was very proud. And then, of course, <laughs> we had Regent Street that was the largest shop, yeah. but you had about half a dozen managers there running that. Okay. Okay. So you found yourself in Edinburgh. Um, yeah. Lovely. Lovely spot. Like? What was it like over Beautiful. there? Beautiful. Yeah. Lovely. I loved Edinburgh. I'd have stayed there all my life. But um, my wife wasn't keen on Scotland, mm. so I moved back to England. Yeah. I would have stayed there. I loved Scotland. Mm -hmm. You said your wife. Which wife was this, Derek? Was this Sue or was this This Rosemary? is wife. This is Rosemary, not Rosemary. Sue. Okay. This is okay. So if you don't mind me asking, Derek, how did you actually meet Rosemary? Um, oh, good question. Oh, through a friend. Um yeah, through a friend. I knew a young girl. She was young, I don't know, 16, 17, maybe a bit older. Yes, and she had a friend, and the friend happened to be Rosemary. Right. That that's how I met her. Yeah. I was, I think, she was 19 when we got married. I was about 22. Uh-huh. I was 22. So that's yeah. how I met her. Very simple. Boy meets girl. <laughs> yeah. Because... We've 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 become quite close over the last few years, Derek, haven't we? You know, we've yeah. had had a lot of uh, chats together. You know, chilling in yeah. the garden and doing yeah. making. Um, what was it that we made? Was it a Ford Model T that we made out of wood? We did. Yeah. No, I don't think it was a Ford Model T. It could have been. It, it could have been. been it might have been. It's downstairs we in the living room on on show anyway. We know um, it's made in a brilliant fashion. One hundred percent. Yeah, Henry Ford would be proud. Um, he would. He would. He would. And... He wouldn't have liked the colour because it's not black. <laughs> but... um, and over over that time, Derek, we've I've never really got to learn about Rosemary or your first marriage. Well, um, she was very pretty, very pretty, nice girl. Put up with me. wasn't easy in those days because I worked hard, and you know. Um, and I was away a lot. And I was away, I suppose, two, three days a week sometimes, and sometimes a whole week away if I went abroad or anything. Um, so it wasn't easy, mm -hmm. but she was nice, very nice. Well, yeah. obviously, very nice. Different to Sue. Yeah. And then you really married um, with Sue. Um, yeah. How old were you both when you met her? Good question. Sabi, how old will I be? When I met Sue, well, I met her because we worked together at Thirsk. Right. And then she left. The job didn't suit Sue at all. Then she left. And um, I subsequently met her in Thirsk. Some Rosemary by this time had died. And um, she asked me back for a meal and the rest is history. Hmm. <laughs> That was how it all happened. And then we started going together. And after about, I think, 
three, four years, we, we got married. Mm-hmm. And we've yeah. been ma- married 25 years. Mm-hmm. That's, that's longer than I've been alive, Derek. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is longer than you've been alive. Long time. Mm-hmm. What what tips would you have for people? You know, you've had two very long, successful uh, relationships. I would say. Yeah. Um, You're right. That came to an end. How you know that was out of your control? I guess. What what yeah. sort of tips would you have for people who are who are looking to find the secret or the key to a a long lasting happy relationship? Well, if you're when you start out, um, one thinks love is the be all and end all. It's not really. You want to look at whoever you're going to marry or whether it's your partner and say, do I like this person? Because if you like the person, you've got a very good chance your marriage will last. Hmm. I think that's the key. I I just think that a lot of people, this love is a funny thing. Um, It lasts, hopefully. But if you like somebody, it usually lasts forever. You rarely find somebody you really like male or female and you don't continue to like them you don't suddenly after five six years think i don't like that person anymore Hmm. so that's my that as far as i know in my lifetime that's the that's the advice i would give young people yeah because i think i think a lot of people do rush into it like oh this person's my whole world i love them with all of my heart and soon enough because they haven't got that compatibility where they just like each other on a friendship level as well or they have things in common that they can talk and talk about i think they find too many things where they're incompatible um yeah and that's a that's a good piece of advice i'll keep that in mind derek i'll have to uh well it's uh i mean you get you can get carried away it's not so it's not such a problem now because people rarely get married now under 27 28 don't forget when i was young i would think if you weren't married by 23 years old they thought there was something wrong with you they <laughs> thought you were never going to get married not something wrong with you but you know you were different yeah so therefore you had peer pressure putting the, your your friends and married some of them having babies and you went married and, and you thought, well, there's something wrong with me. I ought to get on with this. So then you probably ended up marrying somebody that wasn't suitable. Right. But of course, you didn't get divorced then because divorce was dreadful. Oh, yeah. I mean, really dreadful. Um, so you tried to steer clear of getting divorced. Yeah. It's still dreadful, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you've you were born in 1936, right? Yeah. Um, and now we're in 2021. Happy New Year yeah. to people. Um, Happy New Year. Yeah. What's it been like uh, seeing the development of of different things? First, we'll we'll talk about um, more societal things like marriages and relationship first. So, what's it been like seeing the changes over the years from, like you say before, when if you weren't married by 23 years. It was a bit of a big deal, but now there's people yeah. who live together, have children, and go their whole life without being married. What's it been like seeing that development and that change? Well, I think the change is tremendous. I mean, it's unbelievable. Um, 
it is quite unbelievable. When I was young, if you were to use an old fashioned term, um, courting a young, a young lady, you would never ever dream of being in a house alone with her. Never. Um, you were, it really was a different world. And of course, if you had a baby and you weren't married, it was dreadful. I mean, unbelievably so. So bad that mothers and daughters would go away when, I don't know, last two months or something before the baby really very often didn't show. And the mother would come back and say it was her baby. And very often the mother brought it up as her baby. And the child had no idea that it wasn't her mum, it was her mum, it was her sister. Mm -hmm. Would it be sister? No, yeah. wouldn't be sister. Um, yes, it would be sister, wouldn't it? No, let me think. If, no, it, like, relationships, I always find very strange. No, it wouldn't be her sister. Can't well, work out. What well, technically, her, who she thinks is her mum is Isn't actually her grandma. Yes, that's and right. Her, who yeah. she thinks is her sister is actually her mum. Very well put, Sebby. Very <laughs> well put. We got there eventually. So, you know, oh, it's changed. It's changed beyond belief. Absolutely. And it's much better now. Much, much you better. You think so? Oh, absolutely. No sex education. People didn't have a clue. I knew nothing. I was about 17 and I knew absolutely nothing. Nothing whatsoever. Contraception or anything like that, I didn't have a clue. Nobody talked to you anything. Hmm. So you just, I'm not surprised that uh, girls had babies. I mean, yeah. nothing like the pill or all the rest of the gadgets they have now. So, but that was that was a disgrace. Which was, I mean, now, <laughs> now it's almost unusual to get married before you have children. Yeah, I guess so. The thing that has changed, of course, is divorce. Divorce is common now. I think divorce is too easy. I think people don't work hard enough at it. Mm -hmm. With Tremendous problems with children, um, all the anger and bitterness that flows from a divorce. So there's good things and bad things. Yeah. But do you want to stick with somebody you can't stand? You know, do you want to carry on the rest of your life with somebody you'd rather not be with? Well, I mean, I'd rather get divorced. <laughs> well, then the problem, the problem... The problem at hand is who you've married in the first place then, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. But people do change tremendously. I mean, with all the, you know, you marry somebody. Um, well, I mean, in those days you were marrying somebody at a very young age, but now you can, you get married now and say they're 27, 28, 29. They can change beyond in 10 years. They can change enormously what they like, what they like doing. Um, and both of you change and one day you wake up and you think to yourself this isn't working yeah and if you if it's an amicable relationship an amicable divorce well i think you're better off out of the marriage yeah it makes it difficult when there's children involved though because terribly difficult yeah because um yeah. i think well at least with my parents you know having having kids there um Makes, makes people think like, oh, should I stay? Should I go? Should I stay for the kids? Should I leave because the kids want to have a better life? And it, it does make it really tough. Um, and yeah, I don't, I don't like seeing, 
I hate I hate seeing um, all like the bitterness and the anger in other people's relationships because I know kind of what it's done for me and for my family, and it just makes me really upset when I see them things yeah. happening. Um, well, I think the thing is, it would it disturbs children because it's let's face it, it's not normal. It's not not how the animal kingdom behaves. Hmm. You know, we you don't find it. You don't find animals neglecting their children and clearing off. It's a, very much a human thing. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, you know something's going wrong, Derek. When you know animals are being more more caring than humans are. <laughs> well, I think I think they are. I mean, you've only got to um, whatever animals you're looking at. I mean, look at the way as soon as that baby whether it be a calf or a baby rabbit or whatever it is immediately that affection is shown and i always find it amazing that a lamb can find its mother with about 40 50 or more other lambs <laughs> but that stone they make is unique and i yeah. find that quite incredible yeah it is quite no i think animals but, but, but we are nothing but animals really if you look at the way we act and behave um we're not as good as some animals actually <laughs> we're not the best yeah so do you think well this is a, a little bit of a broad question so do you not think that humans are anything anything special or anything holy good question Sebi. um do i think well I don't know. Is it, I mean, this is a. I I don't rate human beings very highly. Um, having said that, we hear a lot about the bad ones, but with what I've been through, I know all about the good ones, the kind, the kindness. But then on the other side, man can be a pretty horrible person. One of the few animals that kills, really, just for the love of it. We are quite unique um few other animals would go out and kill unless they need food we go out and kill regardless so we are quite unique not all of us but quite a few of us so now i don't hold i don't think the human being is a brilliant animal myself hmm. i mean if you let's pretend like another animal had had the effects that we had had for example, let's say like there's a, a brand new magical shark that has wiped out like half of all these fish populations by overeating them. If another animal is doing that, we'd be like, oh my goodness, this animal is going crazy. But as soon as humans overfish in a certain place, we're like, oh, well, nobody bats an eye, you know, it's just right. just humans doing it. Um, yeah. And it they be... wipe fish out. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, I mean, herring, for example, we had huge huge shoals of heron all around England or Great Britain and we very successfully managed to kill them all off mm. um, you know and I'm surprised that people don't think we can't keep on doing this there must be an end to this <laughs> and, and the end came yeah the end with herring you know it um, I mean there's to catch enormous quantities enormous quantities then in the end, they just all went. Yeah, I think people just value the money and the power over 
over the life of the herring, though, don't they? Well, herring. I think they don't, unless people tell them what to do, people are greedy. And I think very often, because there's so many there, they seem to believe that, you know, they'll be there forever. It doesn't matter how many fishing fishing boats go out to catch them, they will still be there forever and ever. Hmm. And unfortunately, that doesn't happen. I mean, you've seen all sorts of things that we've hunted to, to extinction. Hmm. And crazy things. I mean, I can't understand why people want to kill elephants, for example. I know, or, or tigers or lions that are really, I mean, I can't understand how somebody wants to, you know, put this head of a tiger up on the wall. I mean, I just can't get my head around it, but that's what people are like. I think it's the greed, isn't it, that you that you mentioned there? Yeah, it's greed and pride and yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So Derek, let's uh let's talk a little bit about religion and um Oh yes. Yeah. Yes. We've we, had we will we will go very careful. careful we will, we'll yeah, tread very carefully. Um in fact, I'll I'll let you explain it. What are yours? What are your religious beliefs, Derek? Oh, Sebi, uh, I suppose my straight answer to that is not many. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I mean, there are things that make me think. I think the way we are, the, the way we love people. Um, but I find it very difficult to accept that there's somebody somewhere who is going to judge me. I could be totally wrong, mm -hmm. but and I hope there's not going to be somebody who's going to judge me because I haven't always led a perfect life. Um, I'd rather think they're not going to be somebody who's going to judge me. But if they're, I think in religion, there is contrast, and I can only talk about the Christian religion. Well, I just think that you, on one hand, I'm being told that this God is a loving, kind God, and then the next is, uh, you know, he's a, if you don't do what he says, or you don't believe, or you don't do this, you go to hell. Now, I've always found that very difficult to come to grips with. There's all sorts of things with Christianity that I find very odd. I'm speaking very honestly here, Sophie. <laughs> that's good, Derek. That's good. You you are a very honest person, and that's something I admire in you, Derek. You're always very uh, straight to the point. You don't you don't beat around the bush. You kind of just say it as it is, which is very admirable. Very admirable. Yeah. Thank you, Sophie. Um. So you've when when was it that you kind of came to these sort of include uh, conclusions? Well, I was quite religious until I was seventeen. Okay. Um. Yeah, and then. I started to have, uh, there was all sorts of things, because I was a Methodist, which was a sort of quite a strict, um, I was told that, I mean, in those days we had football pools, which was gambling, you wouldn't know anything about football pools, but it was a gambling, and and people going out to the pub, now, a bit like you actually, Sebi, I was told that, oh dear me, people who went to the pubs were dreadful people, and um, people who did football pools, were they gambling? Oh, dear. And then I went out to work and I suddenly found out that these chaps who gambled and went for a pint were a damn sight nicer. And I think more Christian 
than the people in the church who was telling me that I shouldn't be doing it. So that was an eye-opener to start off with. I found these people were very pleasant, very nice. So that set doubts in my mind. I thought, I'm being brainwashed here. I didn't think that because I wasn't intelligent enough then to think that. But looking back, I think you'll, I felt brainwashed. And um, so it put all sorts of doubts in my mind and many other things did. Mm -hmm. So slowly, I suppose my faith was eroded. Yeah. And I wonder very often, had, it, had I not had such extreme um, things sort of said to me, I could be religious today. I don't know. I don't know. I probably wouldn't be, Sebi. I think there's, there was too many contradictions in Christianity. Hmm. But I'll say this, if you lived by Christian rules, and if I'd have stayed a Christian, or not stayed a Christian, I think I'd have lived a better life. Right. Right. I mean, I think it's a very good, very good guideline for life. Um, but it's too extreme. Hmm. And, I, and too extreme for me. So in what ways do you think uh, being less religious has affected you? I think nowadays atheism or agnosticism and being not as religious is uh, very widespread but i think during the time that you kind of realized it and the doubt started kicking in it wasn't as mainstream and it wasn't as popular so how do you think over the last i don't know 50 60 years how do you think being less religious has affected you i don't um well i think as i just said i think it gives you guidelines and i think once you lose those guidelines um you're apt then to more or less think, well, what the hell? You know, I don't believe this, so what does it matter? Um, no, so it, I mean, I think religion, certainly Christianity, has suffered greatly because it hasn't changed with the times. It's still trying to, and then when they do move, they move far too late. It, it's very much like COVID and the government, <laughs> they move too late. They can see it happening, but they don't do anything about it until it's too late. Right. And I think the churches are exactly the same. Mm. I, I mean, I don't think all religions, um, I think problem, the Muslim religion is not losing people, but Christianity is collapsing, certainly in this country. Yeah, in this country it is. I think, I think religion is on the down in a lot of more uh, well-developed countries, but on the up in less less well-developed yeah, countries yeah yeah um, why do you think that is well i think because it gives them something to cling on to i think if you're having a really tough time then it is interesting but that where mike's mike's i mean looking and you're watching the news is that very often you will see people in them in really dire straits and yet they are the people who really believe and I always think to myself, my goodness me, if I was like them, I would find it very difficult to believe there is a God who cares. And I feel especially strong about children. When I see children, you know, very thin, not being looked after, not because their mothers don't want to look after them, 
they just haven't got the food and the fresh water and things like that. And you get people like um, who I've just been listening to. I find it fascinating on the television. Bill Gates, um, who, as far as I know, I mean, I haven't really researched this, hasn't got a great deal of faith. And yet what he does and what he's done is just tremendous. I mean, you know, he's put huge sums of money into trying to stop polio, infantile paralysis. Now, that doesn't mean much. I shouldn't think, Sebi, to you, but when I was a teenager, you were frightened of infantile paralysis. All teenagers were. Like, we're scared of COVID at the moment. I think infantile paralysis with, with teenagers was more frightening. Mm -hmm. You know, because you could, your leg... You'd have to have calipers on your legs. Your legs didn't function. Your arms didn't function properly. It was a dreadful disease. Mm. Dreadful. Yeah. So now the disease that we're all worrying about, that we're all, you know, having to having to deal with during these times. One of the reasons we're doing this over the internet as opposed to in real life yeah. Um, yeah. is, is COVID-19. As, uh, a, as, a, as a more older uh resident how have you dealt with covid and what have been kind of some of the implications and coping mechanisms for you whilst you've been i think sometimes would you say it's been fair to say you've been a little bit lonely sometimes well yes because you know as sue died right through i mean the first time i went through it, it i didn't find it hard at all i had yeah. sue with me yeah um but this time yes because you can't mix with people. Um, there's no normal life. Um, you're wary about going close to people. Much more this time than I think the first lockdown. Because I think the numbers, the people dying, and most people now, now know somebody who's had COVID or they mix with somebody with COVID. When in the first lockdown, as far as we were concerned, we hardly knew anybody. It didn't affect us here hardly at all. So it's a much more vicious. Um, yes, but I think the thing is, is what I've found is to keep busy, find something to do and do it, even if it's just tidying a drawer, anything, rather than sitting down and moping. Mm. Um, I think that is the best way of, of combating it. But it is, it's a dreadful time. It really is a dreadful time. Mm. And no sign at the moment, I know we're going to get these vaccines out, vaccines out, but then the worry is it could, you know, split. And what we're treating is not going to be the same virus that would be treated in six months' time. Hmm. I mean, and then we've got to pump them into everybody in the country again. And that's going to be a mammoth and a costly. I mean, the cost to the country of this must be tremendous. Hmm. I mean, when you look at, the flu vaccine i think don't we get three three separate versions of a flu vaccine every year or something like that we do yes we do and they and they very often i think it was 2017 when they revaccinated a lot of people because they, they had changed and look i could be wrong in this but i think 27,000 people died of flu that year that is yeah. not very well known but i'm sure i'm right on that that's... Don't send this out until you check it. <laughs> could have been about because my memory is not good, as you know. I'll uh, 
I'll put a little note on the screen with the, the accurate number. <laughs> but 2017, I do know because I had to go back and have another another right. flu job. Yeah. So you've what what? How old were you when you retired, Derek? Sixty. Sixty. Oh. Yep. You oh that's uh that's later than I thought. I thought you retired a little bit earlier than that. No, I could have retired at fifty-five. Right. But I decided to go on till sixty. Yeah. Right or wrong. Hmm. So when you were nearing retirement, um, what what sort of things were you thinking about now that you'd kind of come to the end of your working career? I look forward to retirement. I really look forward to it. Um, in my middle fifties, I was beginning to get a bit bored with work. I've seen it all before. Mm. You find that these cycle business cycles go round. You know, it's you have bad times and good times and average times. So I'd seen it all before, and frankly, I was getting a little bit bored with it all. So I was quite happy to retire. Very happy. And I, I loved retirement. I mean, mm. I just loved retirement. Mm. In fact, I sometimes wish I'd retired five years. I could have retired at 55. And how I come, sometimes wish I had retired at 55. How come you went on from then? How come you, what, you from, kept, yeah, how come you kept from, going from 55 onwards? Well, quite, quite simply because um, Rosemary had died. Right. And I thought to myself, that's enough of an upset without retiring at the same time and being unsure what it was going to be like. You know, I knew what work was like. So, yes, I mean, I was reasonably happy, but I, I certainly was very, very happy to retire. Mm. I didn't look back longingly and think, oh, I wish I was at work, because I didn't. I loved retirement. Very mm. busy. Again, keep yourself busy. It's people who... I suppose, sit in a chair and don't want to do things or not interested in things, they find it pretty tough. Yeah. I mean, you're 84 years old now, Derek, and you're very switched on. You're very smart. And uh, I think I think the reason I for that is, I think the reason for that is because you do, you, you make sure that you're busy. You know, you're always out gardening, you're doing jigsaw yeah. puzzles, you're, yeah. you're seeing people, ringing people and I think uh, I think that's benefited you greatly, Derek. Derek, because it's it's keeps you switched on. <laughs> well, it keeps you switched on, keeps you fit. Yeah. Mentally and physically. Yeah. You tuck yourself away in a corner, and you know you quickly. I think go go downhill. Yeah. Downhill, hill, not hill. H i double l. Yeah. Um, now I hope this question isn't too personal, Derek. And. If it uh, is, I won't answer it. That's fine. That's fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so you said that Rosemary passed away close to when you were 55. Um, yeah. That's that's quite a long time ago now. Wow, that's, what, 30, almost 30 years ago now? It is, um, yeah. Just, yeah. What, what was the, it? You're the mathematician. Yeah, <laughs> supposedly. It is, supposedly. It is. It's about 31 years ago, isn't it? What, we're 21. It's 31 years ago. Yeah. Um, what, what was that like? And how did you, how did you deal with losing her? Much easier than Sue. Because I had a 14 year old boy I had to look after. I was only in my fifties, much younger. 
My staff were brilliant to me, which was a great support. I mean, wonderful. I mean, if I needed my shopping doing anything, they would do it for me. So I had a lovely support. And when Sue died, it was totally different because we'd been together a lot, um, been through the lockdown and we'd always been very close. And I just, it was just a different relationship. Yeah. But there's nothing wrong. Rosemary was a very, very good mother and, and a very good wife. Yeah. Hmm. I'm just trying to think of how to how to phrase this question. That's, that's rocked you, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's because it's, it's difficult to talk about these things because, you know, you we, ask me I, if I don't, I will skirt around it if you don't. That's fine. But that's I don't like it. You know, I, I really miss Sue. I do really miss her. And I'm sure you do too, Derek. <laughs> well, I see. Yes, I mean it's a it's a, the only word I can describe. It's catastrophic. Yeah. I mean, I'm able to talk about it now. I mean, but it's catastrophic. Uh, yeah. The loss is is just unbelievable. Yeah. But you have to, you have to. I mean, I've just had my friend on the phone. His wife died four years ago, and you and I. I try not to mention her name because immediately his eyes will well up with tears. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Well, so I it don't... is a big. Yeah. It's a, you know, it's a. Yes, I mean, you've been together. We were together for twenty-eight years. Lived together for twenty-five, and that's a long time. What it must be like to be married sixty years, I do not know. It must, well, it must be. At, well, it may not be any worse may not be any worse you mm. don't know do we mm. i certainly don't <laughs> i certainly don't know that's that's for certain i've my, the longest relationship i've had has been two weeks eric so uh well so it's time you got out of that house <laughs> and have a longer relationship that's what i mm. that's what i would suggest to you i don't know i think relationships and and marriage and commitment i think i think i'm just scared of commitment derek why? Because at the moment, I'd I'd prefer to just give all the time and attention to myself as opposed to anybody else. Yeah, but Sebi, you 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 know, there is nothing in this world like girlfriends. There isn't. I mean, I'm talking personally, but I yes, I, I mean, they're great, and it doesn't close down your life. It doesn't. You've got the right girlfriends. It doesn't. It enhances your life. Hmm. Maybe, maybe my mindset and outlook on it has just been a little bit negatively affected by the the lack of relationships, lack of lack of long relationships, probably that I've had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe that's what it is. I'll let you know, Derek. Whenever, <laughs> if or when I get a girlfriend, Derek, I'll um I'll bring her around. You can check her out. I'll do the Derek test, see if she passes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you've got to come and have a look at my my neighbour because yep. he's got to he's got to give me a pass of approval. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I don't want to dwell on this for for too long, Derek, and we'll we'll move on to the the final section after this question. But obviously, both Sue and Rosemary passed away uh, with cancer. Um, mm. What was it like having having already gone through that with Rosemary? What was it like going through that with Sue? Um, well, it was, it was yes, it's, it's a very 
a difficult time, but the difference in the improvement in the treatment of cancer is, was very noticeable because Rosemary started off with ovarian cancer and that was being for ovarian cancer, which, which was a very nasty cancer to get. The treatment and the, the second operation really worked, but it got to the liver and she died in three weeks. Right. Sue, Sue, um, <clears throat> her, she managed to battle through three years of having liver cancer. I mean, liver cancer was just, it just spread so rapidly and there was nothing they could do about it. So it shows what's happened in since Rosemary died and, and Sue died. Yeah, yeah. But the similarity was, was very much the same. Um, going downhill and yeah hmm. I I always I think the way I see it is um, when somebody dies abruptly or in their sleep or of a heart attack they only die once as in they're, it's, they're alive and then all of a sudden you know it's they're gone. Gone. gone and that's awful in some ways because you don't get to say goodbye you know they, mm. they they were there and now they're not but you know you've gone from them being there to them not being there but i always the way i kind of think about it in my mind is that when somebody has like a terminal illness it's almost like they're dying twice they have one death when they are diagnosed and start to deteriorate and become sort of a different person and then they have the other death which is when they sort of pass over to the uh the next stage i think there's two ways of looking at it sebi if you know <clears throat> like i did with sue you have an opportunity to look after them you have an opportunity to say what you want to say yeah and personally of the two i would much rather have time to let the other person know what they mean to you and I think <clears throat> it's bad enough when somebody dies and you wish you'd have said this and said that and didn't do this and didn't do that. But to suddenly have them go without you even being able to really tell them what you felt. Of the two, I'd much rather you had time. Yeah. Much. Yeah. With all that, with all the problems it causes. Mind you, Sue was quite extraordinary. I don't know what it'd be like if somebody who was worrying themselves sick and all the See, Sue had, Sue had faith, and I think that makes a huge difference. Hmm. Okay, Derek, so before we wrap things up, uh, I'm just going to ask you a few sort of quick-fire questions. Well, I say quick-fire, but um, just questions that, that I'll let you answer, and then we'll go to the next one, basically, yeah? So the first one is um, what would be some advice for your younger self? For my younger self? Yeah. Sebi, I don't know. I mean, I'm very fortunate that I can look back on life and have no regrets at work. I think I amazed how well I did with the ability I started off with. When I look back as a little boy, I'm not a little boy, but 15 year old, I was very shy, hadn't got a lot of confidence. And then suddenly I, 
I suppose I became very confident. So really, I, I have no regrets with work at all. I have regrets that perhaps I wasn't always the best husband I should have been. I have regrets that I was away a lot. That's the only regret. But other than that, Sebi, um, as regards work, I think I did better than I ever thought I would. Much better than I ever thought I would. Hmm. How did you think you were going to do? Well, I only, when I was 16, I thought if I became a deputy manager of a shop, I thought I'd have done extremely well. Hmm. If you'd have told me that I was going to become a director, I mean, I'd have laughed at you. <laughs> In fact, funnily enough, when I was manager of Norwich, we had a very nice cleaner there. I remember her name, Mrs. Grapes. And she said to me, she said, do you know, Mr. Allen, one day you will be a director of this company. And I said to her, Mrs. Grapes, there's no chance. You, living next to you, Derek, has been has been awesome, really. Um, you've taught me how how nice some people are, really. Um, and I've learned a lot from you. But I would like to know, what do you think it is that separates you from everybody else? Oh, Sebby. I don't know. I, what does it separates me from it? I don't think I am separated from everybody else. I think I'm different to a lot of people. I like people. I like smiling at people. And that's not true with a lot of other people. They, especially in busy places, they don't want eye contact. Me, I love people. And I want to smile at them and I want them to smile back at me. Yeah. So that's one of the things where I think I am different to a lot of people. I'm relatively cheerful. <laughs> relatively. So that's really all. But I don't think I'm, you know, I don't think I'm that different to. I, I don't, I tend not to judge people. Hmm. I always think if a person is miserable or whatever it is, we don't know what's going on in their life. We don't know that perhaps they lost their mum yesterday. You know, perhaps their wife's had a miscarriage. We don't know these things and it's quick. It may be a mental illness this person's got. We're very quick to judge. Yeah. And I try not to judge. So uh, the next question, Derek, is, well, you've had a lot of success. I mean, you said it yourself, you never expected to go from being the uh, window dresser to one of the directors of the company um, and you've had successes in your marriage and with people how much of that success do you think is down to your hard work and how much of it do you think is down to chance oh i worked hard i've always been a hard worker um not because i mean it's nothing it's because it's me i just love work you know i just hate doing nothing whatever it is cleaning so I say, tidying drawers, anything. I've got to do things. Now that's me. Um, and I always think you are the way you are. And very often it's in your genes. Because if you look at the family, you'll find somebody pretty much like you in the family. So a lot of us have got no control or little control over how we are. That's something I believe. Um, people who think you can change this and change that, very difficult. I'm naturally cheerful. I could equally be naturally miserable. 
as a lot of people are, aren't they? <laughs> so now I, you know, that's the way I am. Hmm. That's fair. And you're naturally very handsome as well, Derek, I must say. <laughs> handsome? Yes, Derek. Not now. Not now. Not now, no. No, not handsome any longer. I mean, I'm not that I was ever handsome, but <laughs> not now. Very old. Very and, old. And the uh, the final question I would ask, Derek, would uh, would be if you had... Hypothetically, if you had everybody in the in the world listening to to this at the moment, what would be your message to them? Well, work hard if you're able to. Um, I think look at the look on and see people in the best light. I think a lot of people are highly critical of people. Um, and perhaps I've been sometimes critical of people and like people. That's, I tend to like people. And in fact, I have never hated anybody in my life. Never. I've never, there's people I'd rather not be with, but actually, you know, have a real grudge against somebody. I've never had that, never experienced that at all ever and i'm very grateful for that hmm. does that awesome. answer your question well if if that's the if that's the message that you'd like to give to everybody then yes it does answer the question be kind be kind help when necessary but be kind hmm. and I'm, i mean sometimes i fail but i try and be as kind as i can yeah well you're very kind and to smile. me Derek. yeah you're very you, kind of, very smiley to me so you're doing well good. you're doing well by my books good well derek thank good. you very much for coming on this episode of the uh, <laughs> of the podcast i've really enjoyed this yeah. well you've done a very good job Sebi. i think i must have a chat with you once this is finished yeah. i can see you interviewing on tv you are very good <laughs> thank you derek you thank are you, derek. very good well uh thank you very much everybody for listening to this episode um of, you're a funny old neighbor Yep, yeah, with uh, my neighbour, Derek Allen, and uh, we'll catch you guys in the next episode.